Halito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsor. Potential is everywhere in the Choctaw people. It's in our schools and students. It's in our small businesses and entrepreneurs. Potential is in our lifestyle and health. It's in our culture and heritage. Passion and commitment is in our blood. Ingenuity and economy are a tradition. And the Chutla Foundation was founded for this potential. To cultivate minds and hearts, to stimulate ideas and passions, to extend lives and improve health through education, and to preserve and promote the power of our past. The Chatha Foundation, meeting the potential of the Choctaw people. In part one of Stickball, Little Brother of War, I spoke with stickball expert Brenner Billy, who told us about the art of playing stickball and of making stickball sticks. And now today in part two, I'm super excited to visit with two friends of mine, Mark Williams, outstanding Choctaw filmmaker, and Chelena Marcus, an incredible stickball player who will talk about her viewpoint of playing this historical and culturally important Native American game. So I'll start off here with my conversation with Mark. Halito, Mark, thanks for visiting with me today. Halito, thank you for having me. No problem. And you've stayed super busy. So I really appreciate your time. Now you do some impressive and crucial work in our Native American communities. For my listeners, Mark is an award-winning Choctaw filmmaker from Shawnee, Oklahoma. And one thing I really appreciate about Mark is he's a natural talent. He's self-taught. He's never been to film school and he practiced on his friends and family before his career in documentary filmmaking even took off. So Mark, tell us a little bit more. I know you have some interesting stories about, you know, getting kickstarted out there in the world of filmmaking. Yeah, it's, uh, I've been doing it a long time and it hasn't been easy. It hasn't always been easy. It's, it's still not easy, but um, uh, just, just getting started was, 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 the, was a journey. As you said, never been to film school. So I just jumped right in and started making short stories and trying to talk uh, my friends and family into being in, in my movies. And we had a garage sale just to even get some equipment to record with. I think my mom, we even had a taco, Indian taco sale just to kind of get props and wardrobe and that kind of stuff. Really? So, yeah. When it, there's it, it was, will, there's I mean, a way, man. Yeah, yeah. And and the very first one I did was the, a big budget of $200. <laughs> That's how Woo! much we raised. Really? <laughs> how much we raised for it. And we made the film. We was proud of it, you know, it, but it, it was my first um, time trying to make a, make a film. And it actually found its way into a film festival somehow. And it got great reactions, great feedback. Now that the quality wasn't as great because, you know, we're just using equipment that $200 can buy. 
but yeah. <laughs> uh, but the story was there, and I think the 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 audience I think appreciated it and and just uh, enjoyed it. And so, you know, sitting back there watching them react, and it was a horror film. Let me throw that out there. <laughs> and so watching the audience jump and react and close their eyes and scream and all that from a script that I came up, something I came up with in my head, something that we put out on the screen for 200 bucks. That's when I kind of fell in love with filmmaking and storytelling and, and, and was thinking, you know, what can I do with a bigger budget, with a bigger project? And mm-hmm. so from there, it started, just started making more, uh, more films and, and just, um, it's still coming out of my pocket every time, but, um, but Hey, when you love what you're doing, you know, it's uh, do what you got to do. Right. Absolutely. I feel you there too. And there is a passion that comes with the things that you and I do you on a grander scale. Um, but I love that it was only $200 and it really does prove to all of us that if you want to do something, you will make a way you will have that Indian taco sale. <laughs> you will do what it takes. <laughs> Uh, speaking of yeah, Indian tacos, don't you, uh, isn't there some funny story in there about fry bread, some comics that you used to do? Well, way before filmmaking, I guess. Um, so in, in high school, I used to draw comics kind of out of boredom, kind of just because I uh, just wanted to do something kind of funny, I guess. And so I, I started writing these little comic books about this superhero that he, he was a clumsy superhero but he would always win at the end he'd always get the girl you know that kind of thing <laughs> yeah, and I remember selling the comics to my friends for a quarter of these nice and they bought them I mean they hey, bought that's... them just because they they figured I need pop money or something I don't know <laughs> and so they bought them but it wasn't very good drawing but it really did help in later film work you know, I, if uh, if you're familiar with, or maybe your audience is familiar with storyboards, it's basically it looks like a comic book because you have frames, you know, frame by frame of every uh, of every shot, of every scene, and it's kind of like, like a comic book. And so it, it kind of helped me uh, ah. in, in a later part of my life um, as far as doing storyboards, seeing uh, seeing the shots in my head and putting it down on paper before we even pick up a camera. So yeah, we. Uh, Incorporated that into into some of my filmmaking, um, the, the taco sales, Indian taco sales, all that fried bread. Uh, I incorporated it into one of my early early films. I made a I made a, uh, a children's comedy called uh, The Adventures of Josie, the Fried Bread Kid, <laughs> and that kind of came from my comic book days too, because it was about a kid who thought he was a superhero by eating his grandma's fried bread, and he would. In a in a funny way, in a in a clumsy and comical way, would always you know win. He would always beat the beat the school bully, and so all those kind of things I did early on, kind of incorporated into my later parts of, of filmmaking. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how it started, and still use those things, and still use those ideas to this day. I just want you to know, I believe, Mark, I believe in the fry bread. I believe it will make you a superhero. So yeah, the, your grandma's fry bread, yeah. Try it. It's full of superpowers. So do you still have those fry bread comics today? I need to go back to my mom. My, you know, your moms, they always keep everything. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll have to dig in some closets. She probably kept them somewhere. If uh, you find them at your mama's house, I hope that you will share them with us so we can see them. I'm dying to see them. And in fact, I was almost thinking, man, we need to get that, that out there and start selling that stuff. That'd be fun. Funny is I can still draw that character. I remember what he looks like. I can still draw him. <laughs> I say bring him back. 
<laughs> bring them back. Yeah. In your spare time that you don't have. <laughs> don't have exactly. So that film, the first one we made, uh, you know, two hundred dollars is what it cost to make, and and it somehow made its way into into this film festival. Never been to a film festival before. Uh, didn't really know what it was really, but I said, yeah, it was in Tulsa. It was the Red Fork Native American Film Festival, and I went again, not knowing what to expect. I walk into the theater, and it was standing room only and not for me <laughs> but for the <laughs> film right before mine um uh, it was a movie called the brave and it was produced written and directed by johnny depp oh and starring johnny depp and marlon brando and in this movie now i don't know if it ever got distribution so i don't know if it's been released or if you can find it but i'm sure you can find you know on his imdb page or something but mm -hmm. Johnny Depp plays a, a Native American father to his Native American family. He makes this huge sacrifice so his family can survive. And so everybody kind of came to see that movie. So, you know, with Johnny Depp and Martin Brando attached, there's going to be millions and millions of dollars put into that film, right? Mm -hmm. Guess whose movie was playing right after his <laughs> was my $200 horror <laughs> film. But how cool is that? You've got a captive audience. They're still there. And yeah, guess so what? I'm bringing my $200 right show. There. That's awesome. At that point, I, I, I was thinking, what did I get myself into? I could have done this. <laughs> I have I to follow Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah. Let's follow Johnny Depp and this high production value. It's a it's a real film compared to mine where I had a little, a little camcorder. Mm. And, and so <laughs> I was kind of, I was really kind of feeling nervous and, and anxious. So uh, luckily they didn't introduce me because nobody knew me at that point. They just went right into my movie. And wow. um, so I sat way in the back, kind of hiding and nervous. <laughs> but like I said, halfway into it, they start is a horror film. And so they started, you know, jumping and screaming and looking away, closing their eyes. And yeah, I was thinking, wow, this little $200 movie that we made is getting the exact reactions I was wanting to get. That's Everything amazing. I hoped for, they're doing it. Um, and at that point, I was hooked. I was like, this is what I want to do for a living. You had it. You definitely had it running through your veins at the at that point. It's so exciting. And by the way, while you're, um, I was sitting here looking it up too. The Brave. You can get it on Amazon for eighteen dollars, but oh. it's it's kind of interesting. But now his was five million dollar budget, and <laughs> you did really well. I've I've heard of your film, but I haven't heard of his. So just saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, five million dollars compared to two hundred, and and mine was I forgot what mine was called uh, the Dare, the Dare. My brother was in it, wife at the time. Uh, we shot it, I think, in like two days, and so yeah, that's amazing. But, I love it. And you got all this reaction from the oh, yeah. from the audience. What did they do afterwards? Did they clap or what do you do? Yeah, at they festival? clapped, and and again, nobody knew who I was at that point. That was my very first film festival, so they didn't they didn't say and the, you know the filmmaker is here with us. They just kind of went on to the next film. But that was enough for me. Just hearing them clap mm -hmm. and really enjoy themselves. And that's what I like about horror films, because whenever you go with a friend and, and you watch these and these movies, there's there's an interaction that you get. You know, when something scares you, you jump for a second. Yeah. And you kinda look you kinda look at your friend, you'd be like, You got scared, <laughs> no, you got scared. And so it's just there's just it's a fun, you know, it's for a couple hours you kind of get lost in, in these stories and have fun with it and be entertained. And so my definitely my film and was I like, 
I I'm think a- uh, that first one, I think the first one they were like, well, listen, 20 minutes. And so, yeah, for those 20 minutes, I think they were in a that's so much fun. My my sisters and I, we all love um, horror and suspense and thriller movies. So I know a lot of females don't like that stuff, but I absolutely love it. And so uh, how do we get our hands on that and the dare? And so I can show my sisters. <laughs> oh, man, I, it, I don't have to find it. It's, it's probably on a DVD somewhere here in my house. I mean, it's got some cobwebs on it. It's time to yeah, dust yeah, it off, Mark. It just, Bring it out. Just, we want to see it. It's just collecting dust somewhere. <laughs> that was my very first one. That was in 2006 or 2007. And then I just started making short films after that. And, you know, each one just a little bit bigger, a little bit better. And just trying to challenge myself and learn more things. Oh, for sure. I mean, you definitely came out of the gate swinging. Then after two award-winning feature films, you went on to Native American sports documentaries, which of course won multiple awards. There's Beans about a young Native golfer, followed by boxing documentary Shiloh and Knife Chief, then Warrior Coach about a small school's basketball program in Oklahoma. That one's great too. For our listeners, Mark also works as a freelancer on mainstream projects and making cultural films for tribal companies, citizens, and nations. His first feature-length documentary, Tushka Nowat Aya, covered Choctaw Stickball and won Best Film in 2018 at the Native Visions Film Festival in Arizona. It's so good, by the way. Loved it. He currently works in digital media for the Seminole Nation, and his latest film with the Choctaw Nation, Ikayana Lachi, I Will Remember made its film festival run and is currently in selection to the American Indian Film Festival. And Mark is not done. He's researching more cultural projects to give the native people an authentic voice by telling their own stories. Just one of the many reasons I have mad respect for you, Mark. We certainly share the same goal and vision. So kudos to you and to my listeners, go check out those documentaries, y'all. They are well worth your time. So Mark, which of these that I mentioned above are, are some of your favorites? Oh man, that's that's a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they all have some, they all kind of hold something special. I mean, Beans was my very first one as far as a sports documentary goes. That was my very first stab at a, at a sports documentary. And she's still doing great things. So um, it's just cool to see her kind of doing, still playing golf and still winning tournaments. And Shiloh, um, it's actually on Amazon Prime if people want to watch that. They can, okay. She's doing great things. Uh, she was a Nike and, and Seven ambassador. I think she still might be. Uh, so you can definitely kind of follow her career. Knife Chief is, is actually uh, became a good buddy of mine since we made this documentary about him. He lives here locally here in, in Oklahoma, um, still chasing that dream. You know, he's, he's still trying to become a boxing champion, still doing great things. It's great. Uh, you know, same thing with the Warrior Coach. You know, I'm a, a huge basketball fan. So that one, I think Warrior Coach might be kind of one of my favorites only because of, of, of basketball. Um grew up playing basketball, watching it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, I just, um, kind of, kind of relate to. And I think a lot of native, native, uh, kids relate to. And so about a youth team and, mm-hmm. and the message behind it about him, you know, trying to shape these young boys into young men. And so I think the message behind where coach is really good. So that's one of my favorites as well. I can tell that um, there's a lot of passion around what you do and, about each one of these is kind of your baby and um, well I mean you know the the way I kind of approach them or the way I kind of look at it is uh, a big picture you look at Shiloh you know she she was a uh, 
a, a champion, a boxing champion at one point. By the time I came on board, same thing with Knock Chief. Uh, Warrior Coach was doing great things. Well, you know, they have, they have a good following on social media. People look up to Knock Chief, Dennis Knock Chief. People look up to Shia LeBeau. And they, I see the comments on Facebook, you know, I want to be like you. I want to do this. I want to do mm-hmm. that. And they see these native athletes holding up belts and titles, which is great. But what they don't see is what it took to get there. Mm. How many times they failed, how many times they maybe wanted to give up all the, the all the obstacles, life challenges. And so I kind of wanted to make these documentaries to kind of show that journey um, that they can relate to these people. With, you know, with Knife Chief, for example, you know, he, he kind of he overcame some uh, some addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, he made some wrong decisions in his life that almost cost him. And a lot of native kids in these communities can relate to something like that. They, they may be in going down that same path. And so they must never too late to get out of that, to make better decisions. So um, I kind of want to show um, these athletes on, on, on their journey, what it should to get there and maybe, maybe, who knows, maybe change some lives. You know, you never know. And so that's kind of what the purpose of making, making those films. And uh, plus the great people, you know, I think their story needs to be on, on a, on a higher platform. Totally. And so I was, I was just kind of glad to be a part of those. For sure. And do you think you'll ever go back and do like a part two on their lives a few years later? Definitely. I, I, I we, uh, we always kind of stay in contact and we talk about doing that. Um, Shiloh, uh, she just won a huge tournament. Um, I forgot what the title was, but it, it was, it was a nationally ranked tournament. So she's doing really well. Beans is still, uh, she's getting, uh, she's in high school now. Uh, she was, um, I think she was 10 at the time when we made this one young. She was very young, very she young. Was, oh my yeah, gosh. And, and, and she, she was just raw, but she was beating <laughs> everybody. And now she's in high school and she's getting college offers, different colleges all over the country. And then just, just a, just a side note, beans is also white factors, uh, niece. Oh my gosh. Okay. So a mutual friend of ours, it's his niece. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Small world. And so, yeah, I've always kind of thought about uh, going back, just kind of following up with them. And, and, um, well, um, now you are a fellow Choctaw. So tell me more about you and your family's background. Are there any other like filmmakers in your family? Like, where'd you get this enormous talent, by the way? I think storytelling is, uh, from my dad, from my dad. And, and I, th- I think naturally, I think uh, Native Americans, Natives are just, we're natural storytellers. True. You know, it's always kind of been a, a part of us. Either, you know, some are more gifted than others, but I think the love of storytelling was have always kind of been with us. I, I remember before we go to bed, we'd ask him to tell a story, and he would just, at the top of his head, come up with something. And it was always just just great, great stuff. And, I'm, and, I, and I, would, <laughs> I would always, I, I remember thinking, you had to have wrote that because how he tied everything in, yeah, you know, it all kind of came together. It had a be- had a great beginning, great middle, and great end. Like, this is you had to written that somewhere, but it, it was just natural for him. He came from Mississippi. He's uh, a full blood Mississippi Choctaw. Uh, grew up in Standing Pine on the Standing Pine Reservation, and uh, my mom grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, she's a uh, full blood Oklahoma Choctaw. Uh, grew up in in Bennington. Oklahoma, which is not too far from Durant, uh, where I think most of your listeners know where Durant is, and some people know where Bennington is. But yeah, they met uh, they met in high school. You know, 
Yeah. And so, <laughs> okay. Yeah, so like a lot of kids, they, they're yeah. Like, it's like the place that brings all these couples Haskell, together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. And Haskell's in Kansas, right? Right, right. Large yeah. Kansas, right next to Kansas University. Um, Shiloh, who the film is about, she, you know, that we filmed it over in Kansas in Haskell. And so, yeah, they met. They met in Haskell and um, uh, knocked out five kids. I was the second one. Um, ah, the middle child. <laughs> Not the middle well, of the middle, um, but close to the middle. Yeah, close <laughs> to the middle. Close to the middle. We're all enrolled in Mississippi uh, with the Mississippi band. And why is that? Is it because, I mean, I would think that normally it goes with the mother's line, but it went with your dad's line, huh? Yeah. Um, I just remember at the time, uh, well, they enrolled us as, when we were younger. This was so in the, in the 80s. Um, they both weren't prosperous as they are today. And um, I remember uh, Mississippi band started getting, they got a, they got a casino first and they started making some money. They started getting some businesses. The chief at the time was Philip Martin. So mm-hmm. I think they were probably just better programs at the time for, for the Mississippi band. Yeah. And um, so I guess they just kind of felt like it was more reasons to, to, to be enrolled over there. For sure. And, uh, for sure. Well, also when we was young too, we lived in Mississippi too. Oh, so, you did? Okay. Yeah, yeah. We lived, we lived uh, right outside Pearl River, mm-hmm. Pearl River Reservation. Uh, so we went to Choctaw Central. Mm-hmm. And so okay. while, while living over there, they just enrolled us over there. Gotcha. Now, are, are there any like friendly rivalries between your mom and dad, you know, Mississippi versus Oklahoma? Um, <laughs> no, not really. Um <laughs> I think maybe when they first started dating, I'm sure there was. Like, we've heard stories of more kind of when it came to sports, you know, um, playing basketball, that kind of stuff. My dad's yeah. a pastor. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sure stuff like that probably came up. And I'm sure some arguments probably came out of it. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. Did they play stickball or do they play stickball? Um, no, no, my mom didn't. I think, you know, my dad probably did it at a younger age. I remember whenever we was living in Mississippi, I remember being around stickball. And it was in second grade is when I moved to Oklahoma. And at that time, in the early 80s, stickball was not really a big deal around here in Oklahoma True. as it is now. True. Uh, they would play, you know, during Labor Day Festival um, at Tuscahoma. Actually, uh, Brenner Billy, his family was a big part of kind of keeping it alive, uh, along with um, social dancing and stuff. So there was demonstrations being done, but it was nothing on a scale up as, as it is today. So growing up, it really wasn't around us and I didn't really play it or really wasn't familiar with it until I got later uh, and older and um, mm-hmm. started making films. Okay. And so now your dad is a fluent speaker. Is your mom as well? Mom is, um, she can she can speak it. She can conversate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll put it that way. Um, so I wouldn't say she's fluent. Uh, but she can understand. She she can keep along with the conversation. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've noticed with Mississippi speakers are they're a lot faster. Mm. Um, there's almost even some slang to it because they, they speak it so well. Yeah. And so it's sometimes harder for Oklahoma speakers to maybe keep up or maybe kind of understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. So uh, mom can um, understand a conversation, but sometimes she'll just maybe reply in English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but she knows she knows Choctaw. and and how about you did you grow up speaking the language 
Uh, whenever I was younger, living in Mississippi, um, I was told we could. Um, I really don't remember a whole lot of speaking it at home, really, but to my cousins, they said we could. Because down there, especially in the 80s, it was so common that you, at that time, you pretty much spoke Choctaw first, English second. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, it's still heavy down there. But when we moved to Oklahoma in, in Bennington, there was just only a couple of other Choctaw families in the area. And there re- really wasn't a need for it, or, or it just wasn't as prevalent as it was in Mississippi. So we kind of just didn't speak it and kind of just forgot over the years. And mm-hmm. you know, to this day, um, I remember seeing my dad in an interview one time, and I don't know if he knows that I saw this, but he was talking about that move that he doesn't regret a lot of things. But one of the things he does regret is he didn't keep us speaking the language at so now, you know, it's, it's one of those things whenever you get older, you start to reflect on things. And I realize now how important language is to us and it's the identity of our people. And so going, going through the journey of trying to learn it and, or relearn it, basically, you know, I, I had a kid recently, well, recently, five years ago, I had a kid. And, <laughs> and, uh, That's pretty recent. Yeah, pretty recent. To me, I guess it's recent. I want to teach him things. One of the things I want to teach him is the language So for me to teach him. I have to know it. And so um, I'm at the part where I'm trying to relearn it myself. And, you know, not to get off on, you know, our subject here too much, but, you know, language is, like I said, it's, it's our identity. Uh, I think it's right there up up par with stickball. Mm -hmm. Stickball in our language, these are in, in in our songs, these are a big part of who we are. And to be a fluent speaker, you have to be around the language pretty much 24 seven. And I have to, as, as sad as it is, I have to come to grips with, I'm never going to be a fluent speaker. I can speak it. I can, I can get it. I can gain a lot of knowledge and, and be able to conversate with people and with elders and, and be, you know, very, as far as just, just speaking with them, I, I can do that. But as far as fluent, um, after just kind of speaking to some teachers, they said, you, it, it's almost, it's, you have to basically be around it all the time. I I do agree with that. So I'm on this journey with you too. You know, I've been trying to learn and I do the online classes, but it's weird because I had been in Oklahoma for a while recently and I was around a lot more people that were speaking it. And so they were trying to speak it to me and I was trying to understand. I couldn't quite speak much of it back, but man, it made a big difference over a few days. But again, if you're not around it all the time, it, it, it kind of just starts fading away. And, Mm -hmm. and then there's just life. You and I are both busy and it's really hard to make time for these important things, but maybe, Hey, maybe when we're retired someday, we can learn how to (laughs) speak it, but well, thanks for sharing that about your family. It's, it's kind of cool to get to know them a little bit. And you've made some sports films about, as we mentioned earlier, golf and basketball and boxing. So tell us how you got into the films about stickball. Stickball came about uh, with Choctaw Nation. They approached me about a project they were working on. At that point, I had a couple of films with them, cultural films. I think we did one about social dancing and uh, basket weaving and and uh, weapon making. The other ones I did were like short films, you know, 12 minutes, 15 minutes. But they wanted to do like a feature length film about stickball. And so they just asked me, what do you have in mind? What do you want to do? And so... I mentioned, I said, hey, well, since we're going to make it a feature-length film, let's, uh, let's follow them for a while. Let, let's kind of show what it really takes to, to 
to put a team out there to compete Love for the it. series. And I said, let me, um, this was back in uh, September when we started, September 2017. Um, I remember asking, I said, when do you have a deadline for this? And I said, well, they said, no, not really. I said, well, why don't, let me follow them for a whole year. Let me get to know these players. Let me go into their homes. Let me go to all the practices, tournaments, basically gearing them what it takes for them to get prepared for the World Series, which is a big deal mm-hmm. in July of next year. And they loved it and said, yeah, go for it. And so at that time, I knew a little bit about stickball. You know, you can YouTube stickball and YouTube talk about stickball and there's stuff on there. But I wanted to do something. I want to go beyond those action shots. I want to go beyond the field. Like I said, go into the homes and get to know the players, you know, the sacrifices they make to make the practices. And, and so I kind of get the human side, the, the, these human interest stories. Yeah. You know, what it takes to be the team, how hard is it to coach them? And, you know, and so get to know the culture of, of Tushkahoma Stickball. And so that's how it developed. And the team was very open. They were open for interviews and they just, they welcomed me in, let me get literally in the huddle, you know? Wow. So I'm in there with them and hearing all the, the instructions and the strategies and everything. So it was really cool to get um, on that side of the, uh, of the field and show that it's not just people running around with sticks and a ball. There's actually strategies behind it. There's planning and everything. It was just a great introduction for me into the game of stickball mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I started falling in love with it myself. Oh, for sure. And emotion behind it too, because as Brenner and I talked about earlier, the idea of, you know, there's the drums playing that that mm-hmm. means something. And then there's the um, getting excited for the game and that means something. And then um, sometimes when I talk to stickball players, they're talking about the idea that our ancestors for centuries played this game and it was for different reasons back then, but here we're still honoring them by continuing to play this game. And even when I'm talking about it right now, I get goosebumps. <laughs> so, so what's it like, like when you're out there, you said you're kind of in the huddle, you're in different parts of the field. What's it like to observe a game? Exciting. It gets me hyped up. Um, I want to play. Um, so, you know, so I, I, I grew up playing, you know, mostly basketball, but just loving sports. So I, mm-hmm. I, I'm a competitor, still am. And so I just love, love competition, especially getting to know the players. And I, I saw their sacrifice and their hard work and they, they gave it their all. And going into the World Series, they know they're underdogs. They know Mississippi players. They can play. You know, those mm-hmm. teams are good. Mm-hmm. But they go into with, you know, we're, we're a family. We're, we're, we're going to give it all we got. Let's play for each other. And so that hides me up, you know. Yeah. They walk into the, onto the field. It's, it's nighttime. They're under lights. Crowd is loud. You get the drum beat going. So that's, it's, it's literally the heartbeat of the game. But you can feel your heart racing right with it. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a, a big part of me that wanted to put the camera down and get out there with them and just yeah. and, and go to battle with them. Just throw that camera and get on yeah. out there. <laughs> throw the camera down. So let me, let me jump out there with yeah. them. But I remember if I put my awesome. camera down, I won't get paid. So I'll keep, I'll keep my There's camera for down. I'll, uh, I'll play the next game. If you can put stuff. it like on a post or something so you can record yourself. I don't know. Would that count? <laughs> yeah. But it, it, yeah. So just, um, being down there and, and, and walking in with them, it, it does feel like you're walking in a battle. You're you're hitting the sticks. And you're about to go to war with this other team. Mm-hmm. And for community, for your family, for your pride, 
and you just want to go all out and, and give it your all. And I can see how there was so much emotion when they play then and now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just something else. It's one of the things you kind of have to be there, be on the field with them. Yeah. So you're, I mean, obviously you're filming a very rough game. And as Brenner and I talked about in part one, bones are broken, teeth are knocked out. So I can imagine you get kind of knocked around out there. I would assume obviously getting in the way on occasion by accident or whatever, but describe in your own words, what you're seeing through the camera and how brutal does this game actually get? That's one of the things that's kind of, uh, that I love with, um, storytelling with with camera work is you know i'm able to zoom in and, and get these facial expressions and you see during the scrums or what they call huddles or scrums uh, kind of what goes on that the that you can't see from the audience you know from the from the if you watch a world series of stickball game they have a youtube uh, link that you watch it but it's from it's from afar off yeah you can honestly kind of like the, the fast action but to really get in there the hits that they take with the sticks to the face and just when they get up and there's broken hands and oh uh, you can hear the bone is just hitting and, and oh. uh, but they get <laughs> but they get back up and uh, it, it's just uh, to just able to capture it. Um, that's what I try to do with with the camera is capture not really just only the action but just the spirit of the game. Uh, a lot of times I'll turn away from the action. You know, you might think, wait, why would you do that? There's so much emotion going on that sideline as well. Mm-hmm. with the coaches with with the with the people that's audiences that's their family that's their community and they're cheering loud and they're right behind them and they you can see in their faces as well so as much as the faces you want to see on the field it's happening on the sideline as well so i'm telling the story from the sideline as well you see, you see the little kids they're seeing their dad on the field oh uh, you know? yeah uh, they're seeing their mom out there just giving it their all you know and so love that they they just get behind them and they want to be out there with them and they're proud of their mom and dad and so I'm capturing their stories with their fan with their facial expressions uh just so just going back and forth that's a part of storytelling with camera work is anybody can just point the camera and just you know try to get action but to get really get the spirit of Chaco Stinkball you got to capture the whole arena the whole field and what's going on in the sideline as well so that's what I try to do yeah. And, and that's what I love about your documentaries. You've really gone beyond just those rules of the game and all that you've, you've like conveyed what stickball means to the players and, you know, to their tribes. So can you describe a little more about that human side of the game and what it means to these players? We talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, centuries ago, their, yeah. their ancestors were playing basically to settle disputes and that kind of thing. Um, what would you add to that? I think um, community pride, community pride comes a, a big part of in, into it. Uh, leading up to the World Series of Stickball, you know, with social media, you can see a lot of a lot of trash talking that kind of leads up into it. <laughs> but it's about their community. You know, my team is going to do this and we beat y'all last time. And and, it, and it's, it's serious business down there. And um, they know what it means to to not only the community, but this is like I said, this is the game of their ancestors. I think a very good example is this past year, because last year they didn't have the World Series because mm-hmm. of COVID. The first time it's been not played in I don't know how many years. Wow. I, I don't think they've ever not played it, really. Um, and so stickball was pretty much shut down last year. And everybody wanted to get back out there, just like with just just with like society in the world. Everybody wanted to kind of get back to some kind of normalcy. Mm-hmm. 
Well, normalcy in, in Mississippi is stickball. And so it meant so much to get back out there and to hear that drum again on Friday night, you hear that drum, there was just so much emotion that basically it, it, it's back. And they always do a tribute, even before COVID hit, they would always do a tribute to fallen, fallen warriors, people that's passed on. Well, with this past year, there was a lot of fallen warriors. Oh, a lot of our people's passed on. And so a lot of these players are playing for their parents, for the grandmas and grandpas who's passed on. There's a lot of them. Wow. And so there was even that much more at stake. I want to, I want to win this game. I want to win this title for my parents. I want to win it for my grandma who passed on from COVID. Even friends, even you know, young young people. Uh, there was a, a, a player from Bochito who scored a point. And normally, when I'm filming these games, as soon as a score is made, there's a jump ball in the middle of the field in like two seconds. Because it's nonstop, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually when there's a score, I turn my camera back to the middle of the field and get more action, get the jump ball. But after that score was made, I don't know what it was. For some reason, something told me to stay on that player. Hmm. And so after he scored, I didn't go back to the middle of the field. The camera, I, I found him and I just followed him off. the. And he started walking off the field and I just kind of kept watching of the camera, you know, wondering what he's doing. I was trying to get in position to see what he was doing. And then I saw him starting to break down. He started getting emotional. And he, mm. he looked to his team like, you know, subs and you know, bring someone in for me. I can't, I can't play. And, and uh, he, he got down to his knees and he started crying. And I knew at that point this was something that he was playing for somebody. So I asked him after the game and, and uh, they won the championship. They won the championship that night. And um, I asked him the next day, I said, hey, I have this video of you. That score that you made, was it for somebody? And he told me who he was playing for. And I said, it's okay if I share, share this clip. I mean, this is a great clip. And this kind of sums up the, the emotion that's, you know, about chocolate stickball. And he said, yeah. And so we, we shared it. And it, it went, uh, it was shared on how many times on Facebook. Everybody loved it. And wow. kind of summed up, kind of summed up that this is more than just a game. You know, exactly. normally you score a point in a championship game, you're going to celebrate. Here, he needed a moment you know, kind of step away and just kind of be with his friend. For a mm-hmm. So wow. um, he was Amazing. playing for him. So, uh, so while I was down there in Mississippi, uh, the reason I was down there is I'm actually working on my next documentary about the Standing Pine women's team down there. Uh-huh. In, in, uh, oh, I can't wait to see that. So we uh, filmed them. They're a small, small community. One of the smallest ones. And uh, they came out of nowhere and they beat the three-time defending champs while we was out there. And so we was trying to get their journey. And as everyone probably knows who's seen this, unfortunately, they didn't win the title. But I was still able to get there to, and to capture basically the same thing, the hard work they put in, the practices they put in. But we also interviewed a lot of the players along the way. And one of the things we talked about kind of to reiterate your point about the human side of it is the connection they have to sticks mm. and these sticks are a part of them. It's like an extension of who they are. And they talked about what the sticks mean to them. And sometimes when the sticks break in games, how it felt like they were losing the family member. Oh, um, right. Right. Some of the pride when they broke their sticks. Wow. Um, so it, it's something that, you know, it's, again, it's not just a game where everybody's running around not know what they're doing. It, it's it's something that means a lot to them. Um, winning means a lot to them. 
because it's for the community and the sticks that they play with. It was probably made by someone special to them or they, it's. Yeah. So it, it, they're just, there's so much connection they have with things that I'm trying to, trying to capture with these interviews and with these films. And you're definitely doing a great job of that. So thanks for bringing stickball to life for many who may not have even known what stickball is or that the sport is still around. And now please tell us more about how people can see your award-winning documentaries. Uh, I have a couple of uh, Facebook pages. You can check out most of my work, uh, Native Warrior Productions uh, and Digital Feather Media. Uh, some of the documentaries, you can find them on both actually. Amazon Prime, you can find Shiloh. Uh, some of the paranormal documentaries I've done is also on Amazon Prime. And like, I'm, as I mentioned before, Violet, I have two YouTube channels, Native Boy Productions and Digital Feather Media. The documentary about the Trail of Tears, Ikiana Lachi, will be shown at the Choctaw Cultural Center in Durant pretty much every day. I don't know the exact schedule, but you can probably look at the website or look at their Facebook page and they should have the, the showing, the screen schedule, along with my stickball film as well. Is also shown at the Chocolate Cultural Center. Perfect. Thank you. I'm now about to talk to my next guest, so don't go anywhere, y'all. But before we switch gears, I'd like to encourage you listeners to go check out Digital Feather Media and on all the major social media outlets, as Mark was telling us. And I'll be sure to post more information on my Native Chalk Talk Facebook page and website. Please share with your coworkers, your mom, your dad, complete strangers. The information Mark is producing is crucial to our heritage and to our people. And it's just interesting and fun to watch too. So please help us keep it going. Chilena is coming up next. So Mark Yakoki for your time and expertise. Okay. Thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. I love the power of social media when it's used in the right ways to help others and to learn. My family and I were taking stickball lessons from a friend I knew from Facebook who's been playing the game for a long time, but we wanted our own stickball stick. So a few years back, he introduced me to my next guest, Chalena Marcus, who is an incredible stickball player. And I was told she could help me get the perfect pair of sticks. And from there, Chalena and I hit it off and we've been friends ever since. So Chalena. I'm so excited to get to do this with you today, Yakoki, for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. Halito. Hello to all the cousins out there. So how lucky are we that we got to meet the way we did? So when I reached out to you, I asked if you could hook me up with a few pairs of Kapucha, the Choctaw name for stickball sticks. And I was floored by like just how far out of your way you went to help me out. And mm -hmm. at the time you were living in Mississippi and you went to a pawn shop to do some searching. And I was just like, oh, that's so nice. And you were like, I'm still looking. I have to find the right pair. And so anyway, <laughs> so what yep. was this pawn shop that you went to in Mississippi? It was called Beams, and it's in Philadelphia, Mississippi, but generally you can go to like any pawn shop in Philadelphia and uh, Mississippi, and they have them in all the pawn shops. Well, and that's just something I did not grow up being able to see in Oklahoma. I just didn't see sticks in a pawn shop ever. Mm -hmm. And I think my sister mm -hmm. had bought a small pair, a child's pair at a, an antique store, but we were shocked to see those. And so anyway, thanks for doing that. That was really cool of you. Well, you're welcome. So obviously buying brand new sticks is extremely expensive and finding someone to make them is definitely a challenge. So my family and I, we were not 
exactly pro level. We're still not. In fact, we're really bad at it, but we just needed decent <laughs> sticks so that we could, you know, just continue learning. So what did you look for when you were selecting the sticks? I've always wondered. Well, for one, I was making sure that the sticks were strong. They weren't crooked for the right-handed people or the left-handed people. So a lot of that plays into, you know, like how you're going to play. I mean, that affects your performance as mm -hmm. well. So that's what I was looking for in, you know, like just strong and sturdy sticks and not just something that was maybe cracked or, mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes the sticks do get cracked um, during the game. So and then I bet. a lot of times, you know, of course, you know, those aren't any basically aren't any good anymore. So no cracks, just strong wood on the stick there. So for your sticks, do you go to the pawn shop or do you have them specially made by someone, you know? Um, I bought a couple from the pawn shop that were real good. A lot of the families that have a lot of sticks, if they need to do a trade for like whatever the case may be, it can go from getting fish bait to go fishing or anything like that. You know, sometimes they would just go ahead and trade or pawn their sticks. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's like, if you got two or three pairs that you own for yourself and then, you know, like, I don't really need these anymore, or I could use another pair, you know? And so I think that's how that winds up there. But as far as I go, like I've, I bought some from the pawn shop and then, like I said, some from people who made them or I would request it and have it made. Yeah. Makes sense. Especially during practices or, or do you kind of get yeah. used to the feel of your sticks? So you're like, Oh shoot. I really need my lucky <laughs> pair of sticks for this game. <laughs> yes. Every player has like their favorite stick. For some reason, we don't have them that day, like rushing from work to the game or to the stickball practices. Then, yeah, I mean, sometimes we might borrow some and well, for me, that's how it is. I have to adjust to it, like learn the sticks all over again. That's how it is for me. But you got some out there that will just pick it up and it's nothing to them. But for me, I have my favorite pairs and it affects my games. <laughs> I think I would too. I mean, and, and Hey, if you lose, you can be like, it was the sticks. I didn't have, yeah. sticks. <laughs> I didn't have my sticks. I didn't right. Have sticks. <laughs> yeah. So what does a new pair of good sticks typically run right now? I've seen the highest, I think is like $75. Okay. I wonder if they're priced differently in Oklahoma versus Mississippi, since there's less of them made in Oklahoma or. Oh, I bet. I don't even know, but. It used to start off from what I remember, it used to start off around like $25, $30, but over the years, gradually it increased up to 75. Wow. And is that for a new pair or a, yeah, a new pair? Wow. That's actually, I feel like that's cheaper than some that I've seen, but I'd mm -hmm. have to double check. Cause again, I've only had a used pair and I, I remember how much those were. So all yeah. right. So from there, you sent me the six and they were exactly what we were looking for. And I truly appreciated that. So what I also love is that the sticks came from Mississippi, the primary origin of where <laughs> our Choctaw people came from. So, yeah. and of course, for our listeners, I'm Oklahoma Choctaw and you're Mississippi Choctaw. Tell mm -hmm. me more about where you grew up. I picture it in my head, but I want to hear from you. What was it like growing up there and what, what did it look like the environment and all that? I kind of grew up in one of the communities called Bokchito. And so it was, everything seemed more traditional than another community that I resided in, in Pearl River. I could tell the difference from Bokchito. It was like 
well, growing up from over there, it's like everyone you see is native. I mean, everyone you live, your neighbors and everything like that, they're all natives. Because I lived on the reservation there. Growing up on the reservation in Choctaw, Mississippi, it was modernized. Our house was modernized. Like we had running water, we had electricity. But given on a Sunday morning or a Saturday afternoon, you could also see our Choctaw elder women outside cooking by the fire in their traditional Choctaw dresses. It was still in the normalcy for us to live our culture or practice our culture. And once a year, we would have the Green Corn Festival and then the Choctaw Indian Fair. But in those times there, that's when you'll see all the Choctaws gather in their traditional clothing. And we would get together and have our traditional dances. We would have our traditional food and also as well as the beaded jewelry and the basket weaving. It's very humid most of the time, especially during the summer. Oh, I bet. And and then you're playing stickball in the summer, right? Or is it kind of oh, all year yeah. round or? Oh boy. Well, for us in Mississippi, um, like the practices begin maybe especially May. Okay. And then when it comes to June and getting close to July, oh, those are the hottest days it seems like to be out in Oof. practice. And, and then there's no shade unless you get on the sideline or go yeah. on the sides. So it can get real extreme heat out there. And um, oh my like gosh. we even had like one of the players pass out from heat, you know, like they got overheated. So then the weather over there, I mean, when it's hot, it's hot. Oh yeah, definitely. That muggy humid. (laughs) (laughs) You'd have to be really in shape to play like y'all do. I just can't, I can't even imagine there's a lot of running and aggressiveness and all that. Mm -hmm. So my hat is off to you. And you spoke about California. Um, You're living in California now, right? Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, when you moved there, but what took you to California? I just wanted my children to get to know my dad's side of the family. Like, you know, of course, we visit off and on back and forth throughout the years when they were growing up. But I've always wanted to come back to California because I miss the family from that side as well. And I just wanted to see, I wanted the children to see how, you know, growing up here too and getting to know their Kauia side from over here, like to experience that and to actually live it because for your traditions is like when you actually practice your traditions, you're actually living it or vice versa. When you live in your traditions, you actually, you know, put that into practice. So it's like over there in Mississippi, they're familiar with the Choctaw stick ball. Mm -hmm. And then when they come over here to California, my son is now practicing the bird singing and it's a cultural thing too. it's becoming more popular. So, so it's like best of the both worlds for yeah. us. They get to practice, you know, two different traditions of their, you know, Choco and then you have your Kawia side. So mm-hmm. not only that, I wanted them to have more opportunity for school, which California has so many different tribes out here. So it's like bigger. And over the years, they have developed more tribal programs for the schools. Mm-hmm. So that was a second reason there. Makes sense. Kind of some diversity. Um, yes, exactly. How far back generations wise does your stickball playing go? Are, are you the first in your family to play or do you have ancestors who also played? I think I can say I'm the first in my family. Growing up, I just remember hearing them playing out in the field. But 
most of my family were working or busy doing other things. I think it was mostly working. So, and then on Sundays, um, my mother was a religious person. So on Sundays, most of our time was at church and on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So after church is, you know, like our rest day or whatever, she's cooking and we're getting ready to eat. So yeah, that's how we spent our Sundays. And then that's what I said when, I mean, and when I was younger, I remember hearing them at the stickball field. So sounds like the perfect Sunday, um, at <laughs> the church that you went to, was it a Choctaw church with Choctaw hymns and all that? It was a Choctaw church, but it ran by a Pentecostal church. So our pastor was Naholo. He was white, mm-hmm. but they were pretty good to us. So that's, that was our Sundays growing up, going over there to, you know, we would sing the Choctaw hymns and everything like that. And then he, when he preached, you know, he would preach in English. Yeah. How nice. I love hearing the Choctaw hymns. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about your mother cooking on Sundays and, and going to church together and all those things. Those are such, I'm sure, precious memories. And uh, tell us more about your mother and, and what happened when you were a teenager. Um, her name was Nellie Bell. And she was from Bochito, Mississippi. She had passed away when I was 18. She had lupus. But growing up, you know, she was the, the strong Choctaw mom that, you know, growing up seeing like, you know, she did everything for us. She provided everything for us. And well, she's the one that taught me definitely to stand my ground when it push comes to shove. So she was, she was strong, but kind lady, you know, she was Mm -hmm. always helpful. She definitely loved kids. So it was like, she would take care of what I call like the neighborhood kids. She would, and they all loved her. So Uh it was like, you know, we, she opened up our home to the little ones and, or not just the little ones, but whoever else needed help. I just remember her being that as well. Like she was always a helpful human being. Like she wanted to help everybody and she would even take some in a couple times or like the kids when they wanted to come over and play or, you know, and sometimes we would have them for dinner (laughs) And wow. so, so it, it sounds like the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. It, uh, you know, when I think about how, be, <laughs> you know, you went and got yeah. that complete stranger, you went and got those sticks for us. And I, I yeah. saw my sister, she's, she's going out of her way. It's so nice that she's doing this. And <laughs> oh, I was I, excited. I was excited. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I mean, so thanks to your mama, Nellie, for teaching you such great yeah, things. I and, think I get it. I, yeah, I would say I get that part from her. <laughs> Totally. And then Thank she you, used to always make friends with other natives. I mean, well, everyone, it didn't matter what color they were, what nationality they were. Mm-hmm. Um, if she had something in common with them, like, especially like when it came within church, like mm-hmm. so she was a big church person. So I had made friends with these people that were nice. They were nice church. There were Pentecostal people too, as well, but, and there were white people. And that's why I don't see like, anyone different from each other we're all human Mm -hmm. just different walks of life because we would go to their house and they used to treat us good we they would have us over for dinner and then with their kids and us we would play go play while they're cooking or they're having their little church meeting together and you know and then it was time to eat so we all had fellowship and then there was another point where when they had guests over for church it was like a it was a cachata from Texas. He was a preacher. So he came to preach over there. And then that's how 
my mom and her husband um, made friends with them, with him and his wife. And then again, we go to Texas to visit them. And, you know, they're showing us their reservation and everything. And then mm-hmm. us kids would go swimming and play along all day. And then it was time to eat. So then we would have fellowship with them. So now not only, you know, we would have friends from out of state, but we also got to know about, you know, some of their Kashada tribe over there in Texas. Wow. And kind of what you're doing with your kids too. I guess that's what amuses me a lot of times is like when I get to know different tribes, it's like um, I get interested or just trying to see how, how different or how, you know, the same that we are. Right. And celebrating those things. It's a good message for all of us to hear, you know, putting yourself out there, (laughs) getting to know new people, different ethnicities, different tribes, Mm -hmm. all of those things. And then I love that you said that she taught you to stand your ground, which I assume came really handy (laughs) and handy for you when you were playing stickball, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. That was very handy because, you know, just seeing my mom, like, you know, she was, the sweetest person, but when push came to shove, you know, I saw her stand her ground and like, yeah. I was just like, wow, like, <laughs> okay, this is my mom right here. So, <laughs> my sweet mom that goes to church and bakes for everybody yes, can also I mean, stand her ground. I couldn't believe it, but that's right. And all that, and, you know, I was like, okay, well, like, I just had, I just know, like, you know, from seeing her being that strong and standing her ground is like, I know, like, I got to stand up for mm-hmm. myself as well. Like I got to stand up to everything that comes as an adversity, just yeah. stand up and be strong. Absolutely. Now you talked about how you grew up in the reservation area in Mississippi. And there, when people hear reservations, I think they only think one thing, but there are all types of reservations. And you may have heard in Oklahoma, there's, it's been trust land for many years. And now the recognition of sovereignty has come back into play. So there might be the talk of reservations when it comes to jurisdiction uh, taking place here in Oklahoma, a big win for the natives here in Oklahoma. And so again, there's lots of versions of what some may call a reservation. And what is, was there a school there for the younger kids or anything on the reservation? Or was it always everybody went to public school? Well, no, they had the tribal school as well. So it, it was like tribal school or public school. But today, now we have like a tribal daycares and tribal early head start. Great. Yeah, yeah, I think then, I don't remember having that for the um, for the younger kids until like later on in the years. So, well, I would love to come. I've been to Mississippi before, but I've never been to the area that you're talking about. So you and I've talked about trying to get mm. together when you have your festival. Oh, our talk to Indian Fair. Yeah, yeah. Hope to get over there someday to do that. That there, I can say you'll see a difference when you come on the reservation now. Like you'll just see so many more like. <laughs> Choctaw is all in one place. So, yeah. you know, it's just like, it'll be awesome. Yeah. And then you'll get to see, you know, how far we've came up mm-hmm. from and the reservation, I could say, I mean, what it is now, I mean, you'll see stability. You'll see just like how fam, how our family is growing up. You know, we're not living like back in the days, like how people would proceed now or some people that, you know, just now hear about us and they think like, oh, the reservation. And then, you know, like we're living in the old ways. It's more modern now. 
And that's why I wanted you to, to tell us about that, because I think there are sometimes some preconceived notions and there sometimes mm-hmm. the typical thing that people think of is true in certain cases, but it's not true in every case. And thanks for sharing that with us. So what, what's it like playing, you know, you as a woman, I wanted to hear this woman's perspective because if anyone has any ideas who have never watched stickball that, oh, there's the women's team and then there's the men's team that's super competitive. Mm-hmm. No, they are both very competitive. Mm-hmm. Watching the women play is awesome. It's exciting. It's rough. With y'all as women, what are the rules? How rough does it get? Tell us more about what it's like to play as a woman in stickball. Oh, yes, it can definitely be rough. And the women's game are sometimes more aggressive than the men's game. I feel like we do it sometimes more personally because we play for our family as to where the men play more for pride and showing off their skills because they're stronger and faster. But for us women, we do the same thing as the men. We hit, we tackle, we body slam. We do all that. So it can get pretty rough, especially around the playoff times because everybody's trying to get to that championship. So if you want to see women go to war, I would say definitely come to Choctaw, Mississippi. So have you had any major injuries? Because I know it can be a pretty rough game. Yeah, actually. And it happened during our practice, not when I was competing against Mm. another team or when we're competing against another team. (laughs) The injury happened during practice. And so what it was is that like I kind of fell on my tailbone. Oof. So now I got an injury on, on my lower back and on oh, one of the no. final injuries. Huh. Yeah. So I, I deal with that a lot, but that was me making a mistake too. So mm. like, you know, I was told by a coach, you know, to always keep your feet on the ground. And so now today, you know, I share that with my kids. I was like, whatever you do, try not to jump in the air or don't jump in the air. I mean, when the adrenaline's going, it's kind of hard to follow all these rules. Oh, right. <laughs> then you have but... all the sticks in your face <laughs> and people around you everywhere. Yeah. Right. Have you ever played lacrosse? I've never played lacrosse. I've always wanted to ask a stickball player if they've played lacrosse and how I'm pretty sure some has because some of the Choctaws would go to half school, um, the half school college was in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And I think they have lacrosse out there. So I think they tried that, but I've never tried it personally. Yeah. And they use one stick. I've never oh. tried that. So I can't compare that to Choctaw stickball. But what I do see in, in comparison is like they use, you know, helmets and pads and we don't. We just it's just stickball sticks and us. exactly (laughs) it's like the rugby of football you know (laughs) yeah 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 it's like rugby to me oh my gosh do you know the difference between Mississippi rules and Choctaw rules are there any differences in stickball between the two states or is it all the same from what I heard and you know from what they've said is like Oklahoma and Choctaw they're talking about the tackling they're saying they have to drop their sticks first where as for us the rules are is like you can tackle them and everything but you just can't hit them below the knees or hit them early but if you tackle them you know you can still have your sticks in your hands it's just you can't tackle them in certain ways okay well that's interesting I I wouldn't mm -hmm. even remember to drop my sticks it'd be like what's happening I need to tackle somebody (laughs) (laughs) right so that's what I was like oh that was interesting because I was like we were never told that all we were told is you know 
you know, of course you can't pick them up and body slam them. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, as long as you don't do that, you're okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's such a fun sport to watch. And I'm hoping that people are going to go YouTube it now. Cause yeah, you can find tons of stuff on YouTube. You can watch mm-hmm. the games, you can hear, mm-hmm. learn more about it, learn more, more about the stick making and, and all that. So are you still playing stickball now that you're in California? Yes. I go back. <laughs> I yeah. go back there for at least a couple of weeks. Um, this summer was longer because I was there for my nephew, but, um, the year before, not COVID, but before then, like I went back for two weeks to at least try to get some practices in because I couldn't do it here in California. Um, we would do it a little bit with just my family and my husband and my kids, but the land here is just not the same as in Mississippi. So of Mm -hmm. course we have like gopher holes and all that stuff where you could break your ankle. So we had to be very careful. So we couldn't get that full practice in as we do in Mississippi. So definitely before game time, like when it was time for us to play during the fair, I would go back down there for at least a couple weeks so fun. to get my practices in and try to do my best. Exactly. But this year we won our championship. So I'm glad. Congratulations to Per River Women or Per River Hoyos, Biasha. All right. 2021 championship for women. Actually, the director of the documentaries um, that I talked to just before I talked to you, he mm-hmm. was out there recording that and and had a great time um, mm-hmm. and was so proud because that's where he's from too. Yeah. So um, it was a great opportunity for him to see them win. And he, he actually, there was one part where he was recording with his camera and when they won, he was screaming and yelling. And so the camera starts bouncing around and he was like, oh shoot, I'm supposed to be recording this. <laughs> He was so happy for y'all. Definitely you need to come check it out because I mean, you could see it on YouTube and it's just like with any sport, it's like, Oh, you know, man, that's, that's harsh or that's bad a hit or, you know, they're rugged out there. But I mean, to actually be out there and to be in the environment, I mean, you'll feel it. You'll feel everything that the players are feeling, (laughs) the adrenaline and the heartbeat of the drum is just, and then it, to me, when we hear that, the drum beat, and we're out there and we're doing it, I mean, it's like you can actually feel your mm. ancestor. Wow. So, well, for me anyways, uh, well, a lot of us, I could say. And it, there comes that pride and, you know, the proudness just to be there and be in it and to live it and do it. It's like nothing else that I can describe that is Choctaw Stickball. Wow. That's really well put the pride, the, um, kind of drumming up your ancestors with the, mm-hmm. with the drum beats and just, mm-hmm. wow. I love that. So tell us again, the name of your team. Yeah. Shout out to the Pearl River Ohoyos. We are the 2021 stickball champs over the years. We've won like seven championships. So I've been blessed to be able to work with a group of talented women and a talented coach. Also, congrats to my daughter, who's, this is her first year winning championship in the adult division. So congrats to her. I think she's slowly taking over my place in defense. (laughs) But that's okay, because that's what I wanted to do, was pass down my traditions to my kids. Which I can proudly say that they have won their championships over the years in the um, younger division. Woohoo! Well, we're giving you guys some <laughs> high fives and hellos to all of y'all, Pearl River Ohoyos. Do you have any advice for anyone who's thinking about trying out stickball? 
my advice for a stickball plane once you're starting to learn and everything like that is to always protect yourself uh, adrenaline's always going. So even though after you throw the ball, as soon as you throw the ball, like always guard yourself because um, there are late hits when the players have adrenaline going. It's kind of hard for us to just cut off in dead tracks there, you know. Yeah. So when someone, I mean, if you're going to throw that ball or you pick up that ball, you, you know, you need to hurry up and get rid of it unless you're fast. But if you're not, then my suggestions are tips would be to hurry up and throw the ball or <laughs> as soon as you throw the ball and get rid of the ball, like always protect yourself because that will help a lot from skipping the injury parts. Interesting. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, that from that experience, experience. <laughs> yeah. if you get the ball, if you're not planning to be the rock star with the ball, throw yes. it as fast as possible. That's what yes. they used to tell me when I tried to play basketball, <laughs> get rid of the ball. Yes, you definitely get rid of the ball if you don't want to be hit. So. That's great advice. But that will, Thank if you. you, you're welcome. But if you don't want to be hit or anything, um, I mean, throw the ball. Because that's what's happening. <laughs> it's a force of everybody's forceful and running at it and they want that ball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that will save know. you a lot of injuries from that. <laughs> if you just hurry up and throw the ball or like I said, I you know, always, always protect yourself. Yes. Okay makes sense. Thank you for that advice. And really, honestly, I think a lot of people will relate to that and and take that to heart as so many of us are still in infancy and are learning how to play. So, well, this has been so interesting to hear all of these perspectives from a stick maker and player to a filmmaker who documents the game of stickball to a super strong woman who does an excellent job representing our Ohio, our Choctaw women out there. So thank thank you. you. No, we appreciate you and, and helping us Far from what I think of myself, but thank you. No, no. Geez. I mean, if you and I played together, you'd understand why I think you're so good at it. But, you know. To learn. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I need more practice. And um, it's too bad you and I don't live closer together because we play some practice together. So, Shalena, are there any Native causes that you would like to promote today? Um, there's a lot, but for us Choctaws personally, not a cause, but I was just going to say for anyone else that wants to see, um, the stickball game, the biggest tournaments is held in Choctaw, Mississippi. It's held through our Choctaw Indian fair. So you can come on out to the Choctaw Indian fair. It's usually the second week of July. Just come out there and support us. And then in the long run, and when you see our games, then it's definitely going to be very different and it's going to be a new perspective on our stickball game in the meantime and you'll get to see our people there we've got a direct invitation from chalena to come out and hang out (laughs) and i definitely want to try to do it this july in 2022 so if anyone's going out there reach out to me on my native chalk talk facebook page and we can all check out choctawindianfair.com So I'll be sure to post that information too, along with some pictures from Chalena and her family on the, again, my native Chalk Talk Facebook page. And so listeners, we're excited that you got to hear this with us. Thanks for hanging in there with us and getting to hear all these different perspectives. And to you, Chalena, Yakoki, my friend. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Rachel. Take care. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning, 
small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together, we build success. Because together, we're more. Thanks for listening to Native Chalk Talk. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechalktalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends.